Well, bless you in the name of Jesus. I welcome you. You're here for the Elijah generation, um, the coming revival, and the great apostasy in the end times. So glad to have you. Um, let me just give a brief in introduction as far as who I am, and then we'll get to the uh, subject matter at hand. My name is Peter Herder. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I, I, I came down here uh, about a year and a half. I met, I met my wife, and uh, her name is Elizabeth. She was part of the IHOP leadership team, and uh, we fell madly love, in love in about five days, and we were engaged about three months after that and married about six months after that. So uh, when I first came down, I didn't know anything about IHOP, didn't know anything about Mike Bickle. Since that time, that has radically changed. I am deeply grateful for Mike's example and his teachings and uh, the entire IHOP community for their fervent love for the Lord and uh, how they've challenged me very deeply over the last uh, year or so. Um, I'm currently working on a book on Babylon, which I will be alluding to briefly, um, which is a network of false religion that will rise in the earth in the end times. Um, and most importantly, I just had a little girl, me and Elizabeth, and her name's Glory Claire, and she is adorable. She is absolutely adorable. So, yeah, we're very thankful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, I've had a passion for teaching the end times uh, since I was first born again in 1995. I was an atheist at that point in time. I was thoroughly convinced there was no God. And uh, one night I happened to think I would poke some holes in the teachings of Jesus. And it just so happened that I opened to Matthew 24, which if you're you know, familiar with that passage, it's a passage on the end times. And it was in that passage that the Lord opened my eyes. And I knew that what he was teaching about the end times was true. And I was born again in that moment. And since that time, I, I've had a passion for the end times. Um, and I've been convinced of two things. And, and, and the end times is a, you know, I think it's a, it's a subject that too often is thrown about theoretically. Um, but we need to realize the weight um, and the, the, the gravity of it because we are the generations living in the end times. Um, but I've been convinced of two things. Number one, that the end times will be a time of great upheaval and world crisis. I've known that from the beginning. But number two, I also know that the end times will be a time of the greatest revival that will come to the church. Um, so I, I, I believe that the Bible says, hey, we, I've got good news for you guys. I've got bad news. The good news is revival is coming. The cry that God has put in your hearts for revival, he will answer in the days to come. The bad news is there will be a falling away in that time period as well. Um, and so I'll get to that briefly. Let me pray. Jesus, we ask you for your spirit in this place. God, we're asking for revelation in your word. God, we're asking you to bear down upon our hearts the seriousness of this issue. And we're asking you, God, to change us. Make us like your son. God, make us fervent in prayer. Make us faithful to the end, God. We're asking you, come in this place. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Not a single one of us were allowed to choose our calling. 
None of us were around when God was handing out and decided to make us and craft us. We've been born into our calling. In a sense, we've been set up. Not, not a single one of us here chose to be born when we, when we were born. God put us in our generation for a certain purpose. We need to realize that we're here to serve God's purpose and his mandate in our time and in, in, in our era. We need to also understand that God fashions entire generations with a mandate or a calling. The Bible is filled with example after example of generations that God called for specific purposes. Think of Moses and his generation. They were called to come out of Egypt and walk through the wilderness and believe God. The, the generation of Joshua was called to take the land that God had promised to Abraham. There's generation after generation in the Bible, God calls for a specific purpose. And we too are a chosen generation. We need to understand that. We need to have a, a deep revelation that because we are born in this time that God has a specific calling and a mandate. And God's agenda for this time is to prepare his son a bride. We need to understand that that is what God is absolutely obsessed with. God, every one of us that have given our lives to Jesus, we are engaged to be married. We have a wedding day that we're appointed for. And God is not going to let a bride that's not ready walk down the aisle for his son. God is, God will bend everything towards this one objective that a bride would be prepared for his son, pure and spotless. But I've got news, and many of you know this. We're not ready. The church, we're not ready for our wedding. We've been, we're, 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 we're chasing around things that don't, don't deserve our affections. I've, I'm speaking as one of us. We're not, we're not ready. We've given our affections to things that don't deserve our affections. The, the first commandment has fallen far from first place in our lives. And we might think we're a million years away from this wedding. But God says, no, the wedding day is coming. It's near at hand. And I will make my people ready for the wedding. And so we might ask, well, how, how God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to make us ready for this wedding day in such a short period of time? And God says, I will do this in a number of ways, but I'm just going to focus on a couple of them. The first way is I'm going to send holy fire to the earth. God will prepare his bride by sending holy fire. If you want to turn with me to Revelation 8. We see in verses 1 through 5, there's a throne room scene described where the incense, the prayers of the saints ascend before God and verse 4, I'll pick up, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there was peals of thunders, rumblings, and flashes of lightnings, an earthquake. There is coming a period of time, there's coming a, a moment in heaven when the prayers of the saints and, and the end time prayer movement 
It, it's, not, it's not Mike Bickle's big idea. This is God's big idea. God is the initiator and the first mover of his church in the end time prayer movement. And the reason is, is he's getting, he's getting us ready to send fire to the earth. And the moment will come when God will release that fire and it will come from heaven to earth. And we need to understand that that has two implications. Number one, the fire from heaven will bring the greatest crisis the world has ever seen in history. That God will demonstrate his wrath against sin in order that he might reach as many as possible and win them to his son through repentance. That's God's agenda. He wants to win as many as possible in as short of time as possible to his son. And he's going to do that by re releasing judgment. But the second part of it is, it will also be the greatest period of revival and supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit in history it will come to the church and it will come in our generation. And we also, uh, I, I appreciate uh, who was here for Alan's, uh, who was here for Alan last night. Did you get a chance to hear him? He spoke on it. I, I praise the Lord for that because he, uh, he addressed the issue that we are an Elijah generation. And I don't feel like I have to spend that much time on that. But um, the Lord promises that before he comes, he will send the prophet Elijah. And that's out of Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. And we know that that prophecy pointed in part to John the Baptist as the Elijah of his generation. But we also know that that prophecy will have a dynamic fulfillment in the end times. And while you're, while you're in Revelation, just, chap, uh, just uh, flip over to, to chapter 11, and we'll get a, a, get a glimpse of what God's going to do here in the end times through this, this prophecy of, of, of uh, sending, the, uh, sending Elijah. Revelation 11, verse 4. There will be two witnesses that he will raise up in Jerusalem with supernatural power. And what we need to take note of is look at the kind of power that they're operating in. Uh, verse 4, there are two olive trees, two lampstands that stand before the Lord. And if anyone harms them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Verse 6, they have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast, which is the Antichrist, will rise, who rises from the bottomless pit, will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. So we know that the promise of Elijah the prophet comes not only in the form of John the Baptist as he announces the first coming of Jesus, but we also can see in this passage a very Elijah-like ministry going on here. It's not the only ministry going on here. We also see a Moses ministry going on here because we see them striking the waters and then becoming blood. So immediately we know that the anointing that Moses had and the power that he operated in will be happening in Jerusalem. But they also were able to pray and the, it, it wouldn't rain. They were able to control the weather uh, by asking God in prayer, which immediately brings our attention to Elijah, who, as you guys know, 
pre, uh, prayed to the Lord that he would not let it rain for three and a half years, partnered with the Lord bringing uh, a judgment on Israel. And so we realize now that um, the, the promise of Elijah will come in, in, in the form of these two witnesses in Jerusalem, but we also need to realize that what is happening in Jerusalem in the end times will also be felt throughout the entire earth. It's, it, it, isn't, it isn't going to be the world watching what's happening in Jerusalem. The events will be happening throughout the earth in a lesser measure, but the same kinds of supernatural activity and the same kind of persecutions. Just because we're not living in Jerusalem doesn't, won't mean that we're free from what's happening in the end times. It will be happening. It will be a global. God will bring this, this, this to pass in a global way. In fact, we know that God promises that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh in the end times. We find that in Joel chapter 2, verses 22 and, uh, 28 through 32. It says, It will come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show you wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The Lord is promising us unprecedented revival in the days to come. He will clothe us in the spirit and power of Elijah. We are the Elijah generation, just as John the Baptist an announced the first coming of the Lord, our generation will announce the second coming of the Lord. Just as God anointed John the Baptist with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will anoint us as a generation with the spirit and power of Elijah. I believe it'll be in these days that the Lord will fulfill what he promised, that we would do greater works than even he did. The Lord, I mean, when, when you think about the promise that believers will do greater works than Jesus, what can that mean? He healed the sick. He made the blind to see. The paralyzed walked. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He walked upon water. And if Jesus promises us even greater works we will do, we can get, begin to get a sense of the supernatural activity that will be at work in the end times. That's the good news. That's the good news. The good news is that God will release unprecedented revival to the church. But I believe that the Lord was saying to us that in, in, in the IHOP community, it's, it's, a, it's a daily practice to cry out to God for power. It is a daily reality to press into God and ask for him to come in, break in with supernatural power, ask for the anointing of Elijah, to ask for the supernatural things that, that Elijah experienced. And we're all familiar with those, that, that desire that God would break in in supernatural power. But, and I believe that the Lord is saying, I will give you the supernatural power 
that I gave to Elijah. I will give you the anointing of Elijah. I will give you the spirit and power of Elijah. But I will give it to you in the same context that I gave it to Elijah. And the context that he gave it to Elijah was in the context of apostasy and persecution. And we need to realize that in the end times, it's not only revival, but it's also a great falling away and a, pers a persecution. Um, let me just, I just want to, uh, can you turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, since we've already briefly alluded to it. And Matthew 24 is where the, the disciples come to Jesus privately, and they, and they ask him, they say, Jesus, would you tell us, tell us when the end of the world's coming, and what will be the sign of your coming and the signs that the, the, that the end or the, the age is coming to a close. So those are the questions that, that they ask Jesus. And Jesus breaks right into the, the answer to these questions. He says in verse 4, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are the beginning of birth pangs. Verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And I want to focus on verse, verses 10 and following. And then many will be offended and fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So, that, so when, when the disciples ask Jesus, what will be some of the signs of your coming? Jesus points to there will be a time where many will fall away. And we hear, we hear the Apostle Paul echo this very same teaching, if you want to turn to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. just want to familiarize you guys with where these are at. And now this, of course, 2 Thessalonians was a, a letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church. And the church was getting wind. Uh, they, were, they, were, uh, they, were, they were shaken. They were um, disturbed about the idea. Somebody was, someone was telling them that the day of the Lord had already come and they missed out. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't have to worry about missing it. It's, in fact, I will give you, I will give you two things that tells you that, 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 that two, two events that must happen before the day of the Lord comes. In uh, verse 3, Paul writes, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day or the day of the Lord or the second coming of Jesus will not come unless the great apostasy comes first. And the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship will be revealed in the temple. So he says, you will see the great apostasy, and you will see the Antichrist revealed in the temple. 
And so the first question in my mind as I run, I, I run into what God is saying, saying, Peter, you will be living in the greatest generation of all time. I will pour out my spirit in measures that you cannot now comprehend. But he also says, Peter, these will be days where many will fall away from the Christian faith. How, how can that be? How can you have revival, but at the same time, a great falling away? And I believe that the Bible gives us a pair, uh, of an example of not only how this can happen, but exactly how this did happen. And we've got to look, we have to look to the ministry of the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah is famous. He's famous for being the guy who operated in supernatural power. He was famous, he was famous for praying and causing a three-and-a-half-year drought. He was famous for being translated from place to place. He, was, he raised the dead. He multiplied food. I mean, I, crying out, God, anoint me like Elijah. Because he is the, the prophet that you think of when you think of supernatural power, the, the prophet of Elijah. He was a walking, the man was a walking revival. But in the midst of God demonstrating his supernatural power through his prophet, what was happening in the land of Israel at that time? Nearly the entire nation had fallen away from the Lord. At that time, Israel was so overrun with idolatrous practices that 400 false prophets ate in the royal court. Nearly the entire population had bowed their knee to, to the, the idol Baal. We know that when Elijah was chased from Jezebel, when, when Jezebel chased Elijah out of town, the first thing Elijah ran to God and said, he said, I, I'm, I'm the last one. I'm, no one but me has bowed the knee to Baal. But he was the man that released the most power into Israel. Yet most of Israel had fallen away. So we need to realize that God's power and the breaking in of supernatural anointing is threatening. It's threatening to the kingdoms of this world. It's threatening to the devil. It's threatening to me. It's out of control. It's God's agenda. And unless my heart is submitted to his spirit and his will, it's very easy to become offended with the power of God. Even Jesus himself was accused of being of the devil because he operated in supernatural power. Those, the religious of the day, couldn't understand Jesus in, that, in, in the power that he operated in. So they, they figured he had to be of the devil. And so we have to realize that revival is offensive in many ways. And what I'm trying to do is just build a context for which we can look forward into the end times and understand that both revival and apostasy is coming. But we need to realize that the apostasy of Israel's day 
stemmed from one influence. It was a demonic spirit operating through a woman named Jezebel. And I hardly have to introduce Jezebel to anybody. She was the queen of Israel who was known for her whoring and her sorcery, who had won the affections and the heart of her husband away from the Lord and caused compromise to enter in to the entire nation. But we need to realize that the spirit of Jezebel has been operating ever since before Jezebel and ever since Jezebel. In fact, we, we know that in Revelation, uh, Jesus is speaking to the churches and warns them because they're tolerating the spirit of Jezebel, even though Jezebel had long died. It's a demonic spirit that comes in through the window of compromise and causes, teaches people to live in sexual immorality, bowing their knees to idols. And though, of course, we don't have yet uh, rocks and sticks that we call idols that we, we bow to, there is an idolatrous religious system that the Bible warns will arise in the end times. And the Bible calls this false religion Babylon. If you look in Revelations, Revelation 17 and 18, it gives you an idea of, of this harlot spirit that will be active in the end times that will win the hearts and minds of many people. You see, the spirit and power of, of Babylon is, is already at work in our day. And it's not in the form of, of, like I said, sticks and rocks. It's in the form of religious syncretism. Um, the religious syncretism is, is simply that um, the idea that all religions lead to God. That Jesus couldn't possibly be the only way. I mean, really, let's be serious. There's billions of people around the, the world. Many of them don't believe in Jesus. Are you telling me that if you don't believe in Jesus, you, you, you're not going to go to heaven? I mean, in fact, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the Larry King show, but anytime there's a uh, uh, you know, a, a known Christian on the show, he makes a point of asking them that very question. Is Jesus the only way to God? And sadly, many of the Christian leaders that have been on the show have waffled about. and They've wavered. Because the, the heat of the spotlight that all the nation is watching them, they're they're so, somehow out of touch that not only is Jesus the only way to God, but that Jesus is God. And somehow this idea of, well, God has to be nice to everybody because he's God, is somehow getting in, into the, the, the mind of the church. But we need to realize that this pressure to compromise with religious syncretism will only continue to grow in the church and many will bend because there's a movement, there will be a movement growing, and it already is, of moderate Muslims, moderate Jews, moderate Buddhists, Hindus, even Christians that will want to unite a world religion so that all the world can come under a single banner. And many in the church will fall to this deception because there will be demonic power behind this movement. 
And we re- need to realize that as God is moving his people in the end time prayer movement into partnering with him in greater levels of power, the powers of hell is, and Satan's demonic hordes will be creating a system of false religion that will, that will unite the entire world. And we need to understand that these things are, are yet ahead so we can grow deep with God now. In fact, um, it's, not only on, it's not only in the area of religious syncretism that the church is being pressured today. The other area is, in, uh, is moral compromise as far as sin. And uh, the, the idea would be moral relativism, that there's no such thing as right and wrong. Right and wrong is relative to the individual. God, God has no absolute say on what sin is. Um, I was listening to, to N- yeah, I shouldn't say this, NPR the other day. They had, a, uh, they had a, uh, a prominent evangelical leader on there, and her question to him was, there have been three major evangelical leaders that have had to step down from their positions this year because of homosexual relationships. And her question is, why don't you reconsider what you consider sin to be? Why don't you bend on that? Why don't you compromise on what sin is? And so we see the growing pressure, and I promise you that these ideas will continue to beat on our churches in the coming days until the false religion of Babylon arises, built on those two very things, religious syncretism and moral relativism. And we need to realize that that the entry point of these things is compromise. Because I'll, I'll tell you what, we all, we all want to be filled with, with the spirit and power of Elijah. You know, we need to realize that besides, besides being known for the supernatural power of his ministry, the other thing that pops out at you about Elijah was his unflinching um, dealing with compromise. He was the one who stood against Jezebel, the queen who had basically killed all the other prophets in the land. He stood against her, told her, you will fall. Your blood, your, your body will splatter on the ground and dogs will eat you. You will become dog chow to the most powerful woman in Israel. He said that. He went, to, he went to Ahab, ran into Ahab one day. Ahab said, ah, it's you, you troubler of Israel. He said, no, it's not me that's troubled Israel. You have, because you've compromised. And he says, the Lord will cut you off, you and your entire family from the earth. We also know, we know Elijah from the, the, the confrontation with the 450 prophets of, of Baal. One man against 450. I don't know how many people are in here, but... If everybody in here against me, in just about anything, I, I don't, you know, I, my, my chances won't be very good. But he boldly, courageously stood against them, unflinching. No compromise. But we need to realize the other part is that Elijah wasn't a hypocrite. It wasn't, it wasn't like Elijah had these secret sins in his life over here. And then when it t- came time for the anointing to come on him, he ran out here, called out Jezebel, called out Ahab. Yeah, bring on the 450 
prophets. Elijah's relentless, his intolerance of compromise started with himself. The reason he could, the reason he could confront all 450 prophets of Baal was because he had, because he was fighting the fight in his own life. He wasn't allowing the compromise in his old life. And once, it, once, you, once you start the fight there, then you can begin to start the fight outside of you. And I want to tell you, we are the Elijah generation. We will be called to stand against the false religion of Babylon. We will be called to stand against those who are falling away, saying, don't turn your back on Jesus. Don't turn your back on the truth. This is a demon spirit you're giving your lives to. It's easy for me to say it in this room. Who cares? But when the entire world, when it seems like I'm the only one left, it'll be an entirely different story. I want, I want to tell you that we are the Elijah generation. We will be called to stand against these things. But as the Elijah generation, we must first turn inward and be ruthless with our own compromises first. Because if we're not ruthless first with our own hearts, before God, a loving God, a God that, that I, I hit on this in the beginning, a, a bridegroom God who is absolutely zealous for you, who loves you, who sent his own son to die for you. But doesn't that love elicit some sort of a response from our hearts? It has to create a response in our own hearts that, yes, God, if you died for me, I will fight the good fight in my own heart. Yes, God, I will ruthlessly lay before you every area of my life because you laid down your very life for me. It's all out of love. I, you know, please don't hear me speaking condemnation. I'm, not, I'm preaching to myself here. Just if, I, if, if something lands on you by the Spirit of God, great. But I'm going to let these things land in my heart and me deal with the Lord. But as the Elijah generation, we need to understand together that God is calling us to fight compromise in our own lives. And so I want to encourage you, every single one of you, every one of us can start new with the Lord today. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to wash away all of our sins. But I tell you, He's not going to take the sins that you don't give him. If you're not willing to repent, if you're not willing to give it up, you will keep it. He will let you keep it. But if you're willing to say, no, I am, I identify, as the, I identify myself with the Elijah generation, and I will not compromise. And you say, God, give me grace. Give me grace to fight. It's all he's asking, because I promise you, if you make that decision today, the supernatural power will come in a time when you're not expecting. And when God sends that fire from heaven to the earth, it will either pro propel you forward in God or will cause you to be offended at God. And the way we're positioning our hearts now will directly relate to how we respond to the events ahead. I just want us to think about that. 
how we position our hearts today. How are we positioning our hearts today? Because I promise, the compromise, for allowing compromise, compromise doesn't stay the same over time. It will grow. And the delusional power will grow. And so we need to be ruthless because we will stand against compromise in the days to come. We will stand. I'm speaking that to you in your spirits. We will stand. We will stand in the days to come. We will stand against compromise. And that stand begins today. And so I just want to encourage you guys, you know, as we think about how, how are we spending what God has given us? And, and God can get really specific. Um, I, I can give you the five ones that melt my heart and wreck me every time. These five areas, I believe if we settle the issue today in our hearts, on the, in the issue of how are we spending our time, how are we spending our money, what are we thinking about? What are we setting our eyes upon? And the last one, what's coming out of our mouths? What, what words are we saying? How are we spending our words? And I'm not saying, that, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this to, to, to condemn anybody. I'm saying this to challenge you guys at the deepest level of love. Because I believe by the Spirit of God, God is falling on your hearts right now. And he's saying, I am preparing you as my bride. I am preparing you. You are my precious ones. The power is coming. What you're crying for is coming. But it's coming in persecutions and apostasy. And so um, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to encourage us right now to, let's just pray before, let's just pray to the Lord. Let's just ask the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, these are weighty, weighty realities, God. We are struck by how serious the revival that is coming and the great falling away that is coming. We are we're struck by this, God, but it causes us to run to you, to cry to you, God. And I'm asking God for grace today, God, as the Elijah generation in the name of Jesus, that you come in your spirit, God, and we commit to you, God. We will fight the good fight of faith. We will bring every area of our lives into submission to your spirit, God, and your word, God. I'm asking God for an outpouring of your spirit right now upon hearts. Lord, that we would stand faithful to the end. Lord, that we would stand against the compromises in our own heart and that we would bring that stand outward to stand against the compromise that will come to the church. Jesus, you are holy. You are glorious. And it's your faithfulness that will bring us through to the end. It is your power working through the Spirit that will preserve us, God. And we say, God, we are yours. Our hearts are yours, God. Jesus, we just worship you. We bless your holy name, God. We ask you to seal what you have spoken to our hearts by your Spirit, God. And we ask you, Jesus, 
Lord, to empower us, Father, in the days ahead. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the cross. Oh, the blood of Jesus, sufficient for our deepest sins. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, do we have a few minutes? Okay, we've got a few minutes. Um, is there, are there questions? I, I, I don't think we're going to get to very many, but if there are questions, I imagine there are. This is probably relatively new. But, um, okay, right here. I'm sorry, why do I feel what? Why is this the generation? Um, well, there, there's, a, there's, a number, there's a number of reasons. Um, uh, specifically surrounded by uh, Israel, Israel being, being in the land. Um, there, it's difficult to say exactly whether it's going to be, you know, in the next 20, 50, 100 years. Um, and it, we, obviously, we, we don't want to say exactly when, because we don't, we don't know that. But we believe that the operating of the Spirit, what the Spirit of God has been saying to the church, um, we believe the events that are happening around the Middle East and uh, just events that are happening around the world, um, that we have good reason to believe that the coming of the Lord will be in the, the next 50 to 100 years.